Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In preparation for the first human mission to Mars, six volunteers take part in the ultimate dress rehearsal, living inside a year-long NASA simulation to understand the psychological effects of isolation on the human mind. And that just barely scratches the surface of this documentary film called Red Heaven. And we are joined today by the co-directors, co-producers, and other hats being worn by these, these two. Then uh, that would be Lauren DeFilippo and Catherine Grange. And welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you for having us. Thanks Thank so much. You so very much for being here. Uh, I really enjoyed your documentary film for a lot of reasons. It is not only the idea of us going to Mars, human beings, you know, sort of the, the journey to Mars takes what months and months to do. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of being on a planet that is in many ways inhospitable, the idea of setting up some sort of colony encampment, something that's sustainable is just mind-boggling but it's the human part of all of this that really comes across in red heaven it's that part of that component maybe we can do it technologically but can we do it as human beings and i'm very curious how this project came to you i'll start with you lauren how did this all come about what got you interested yeah, so um, Catherine and I were actually uh, living in Silicon Valley. We were in film school at Stanford. And, you know, as we all know, Silicon Valley is a pretty nutty place on a lot of levels. And there were all of these entrepreneurs talking about going to space. And not only were they talking about, you know, going there, colonizing, inhabiting these planets, but they were really talking about it as a backup to what we have here on earth. Basically, if we kind of ruin things for ourselves, at least we'll have a plan B and we can go to Mars. And this was just craziness to both of us. Um, we were, you know, just shocked at this time when this was kind of like 2014, 2015, people were starting to talk about climate change more and more, the devastation of our planet, and the fact that this was being, you know, brought up as a solution was just odd. And so I think it brought up a lot of things about kind of our relationship to our environment and isolation and just human nature that was really fascinating to us. And so we immediately kind of said, there's a film here. And so we started to dig in more and we learned actually about these Mars simulations. And we just kind of thought, wow, this is sort of the next best thing. If we can't go to Mars, we can film some people pretending that they're on Mars. We spoke with the, um, the high seas program, which is the the program you see featured in the film. First, they were like, no, you can't film. Are you crazy? This is a rigorous science experiment. There's no way you're going to have access. 
you know, I think just as first time filmmakers, we were kind of naive enough to sort of keep pushing and basically um, make ourselves available. So we heard that they were going in for a full year, um, which was the longest simulation that had been done in North America up to that point. We kind of dropped what we were doing and flew to Hawaii, met the crew and spent about two weeks with them as they were training for the experiment and basically came up with the idea that we would give them cameras and they would actually do the filming for us since we couldn't be in there with them and we would um you know remote direct them as much as we could well Catherine, um this is a project as i as i recall high seas researchers is that the is that the is that a company is this sort of a private public partnership how did this sort of the, the establishment of this colony if you will how does that work high seas is a project that is run by the university of hawaii the director of the project the lead researcher is dr kim binstead and it's nasa funded it's a research project and the, all the people working on it are scientists doing all this rigorous experimentation to be able to offer to NASA or whoever wants it, this data on human psychology and the human emotional experience during a long duration space mission. Were they the entity that did the vetting of these people with the sort of the recruiting and vetting of them? Yeah. So they put out a call for anyone who's interested to be a high seas crew member. And they did a few experiments before this one and then one or two after that were shorter so this was the longest one, and it was actually the longest experiment of its kind in North America, in history in North America. There was a Russian one that was 500 days, and uh, people apply, and I think they had something like 100 applicants, and then they narrow it down, and then they do a whole training where everyone comes together, and they do kind of like an outdoor survival week or two. And that's how they get it down to the final six. That would have been a, that in and of itself would have been a fascinating documentary, just how they winnow it down from a hundred down to the six that we see here and all of the different factors that come into play in terms of putting people together. It's three men and three women. And the idea, I'm thankfully you did um, this idea of giving them all cameras, which is I mean, it's the heart and soul of the film in terms of not just them filming, but also over the course of time, it's what they film Mm -hmm. and their interest in filming, continuing to kind of maintain that throughout the the one year that they're there. There's just so much here there. I'm not going to run through the entire list of names, but they're they over the course of the film, you see very distinct personalities here. And so that that uh, and by the way. We'll get to the sex question later on, but how how can you put six people in in eleven hundred feet and not be part? You know, this is humanity here, right? And this is there's something really interesting about that. But let's put that aside for a second. Oh, how open were they to doing this? Yeah, well, they were, you know, kind of consummate professionals in a way, and you know, we always talk about it's. the casting of this documentary was really out of our hands because as we just spoke about, it was cast for us by the selection process for the experiment. And what they're looking for is kind of this almost impossible combination of traits for someone to do a long duration space mission. 
because you want this kind of astronaut fearlessness, courageousness, hunger for exploration that's going to have someone go be like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll go stay in a dome for a year, let alone be shot in a rocket up into space. And then there's also this kind of unflappability. They have to be so even keeled. And we laugh that we made a documentary about, by definition, the least dramatic people <laughs> because they have to be low drama to be able to survive in these close quarters with such little stimulation, so much isolation for such a long period of time. But as we got to know them, we just saw how fascinating they were and how thoughtful they were. And, uh, you know, we just were drawn to that and drawn to the ways that they approach the experiment and then how they dealt with surviving during right. this tough time. Well, watching them, well, the thing that struck me is they have to be sort of the rugged individual, right? The people who are able to adapt and be able to deal with a with an environment like this, but they also have to be team players. Lauren, that's the thing that kind of struck me was finding that proper mix in terms of their personality, but also their ability to work together. Um, and one of the ways in which that manifests itself in the in the course of this film is the surveys that they have to do on a daily basis. I don't even know if they do it multiple times in, a, in the course of a day, but they have to. seems like that is their one constant is doing the surveys, constantly kind of updating the research on and how they're doing. Talk a little bit about that. that. That sounded like that was a very difficult thing for them. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this was a psychological experiment. And so surveys were a huge part of a part of that process. I think they filled them out at least twice a day, mornings and evenings. And they were just kind of looking for all sorts of, <laughs> of markers um, that maybe, you know, they were losing parts of their cognitive ability because um, basically when you kind of live in such a monotonous environment for so long, your cognitive abilities may start to deteriorate. This is sort of one thing that NASA is actually really interested in about studying for these long duration missions that they want to send people on. But what was interesting of like, of course, the surveys are annoying to them. And, you know, you see in the film just the huge amount that they're filling out day in, day out. But because these are such kind of stoic types of professionals, they had to do other things as well to sort of trace how they were doing psychologically in there. So one of the things was they actually had them wear tracking devices so that they could tell their proximity from each other because it's all well and good to fill out a survey and say, yeah, I'm getting along with all my crewmates. Everything's great. And yet if you're on one side of the dome and I'm staying on the other side of the dome for hours at a time, um, maybe we're avoiding each other, you know? And so the researchers were able to use that data as well to kind of get beyond just what was on the written page of the surveys. That is something that does come into play as, as the film um, moves forward. But at some point, if I'm filling out uh, surveys day after day after day, I can't imagine for myself where I wouldn't start just kind of coming up with things to put in these surveys that wasn't the same sort of monotonous information. I mean, I don't know if you've seen their surveys, but I would imagine that at some point the mind starts to just try to create something that may or may not even be relevant. 22,000 of these <laughs> surveys were done by the time they got through this entire year, 22,000. So 
And by the way, there's an interesting point in the film where it's made near the end. I'm not think I'm giving anything away, but they're still in the process of analyzing this data from this uh, from this experiment. Is that right? Yeah, the results are kind of starting to trickle out right now because a lot of the results are very detailed. So some of them are about like, you know, they're doing like a food study and a water study to see like how and when people consume and how that corresponds to their emotional and psychological well-being. Uh, and then there's kind of like more big picture results that have yet to be released. So they're like being published in journals over the next year. Right. Well, I would like to remind our listeners that we're talking with the co-directors of this documentary film that's premiering. Oh, do I have that right? Premiering at Doc NYC. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. And Thank you can you. go to docnyc.net to find out how to watch Red Heaven as well as a, a, an amazing array of documentary films. But you should certainly check out Red Heaven. There's so much here. Uh, um, and we're speaking with the co-directors, Lauren DeFilippo, as well as Catherine Gorange and the Shackleton. I love the fact that you brought in the expedition of Charles Shackleton into this because it provides kind of a historic frame for what they are doing and how that sort of played out. And what a remarkable story that is, the Shackleton story, that expedition to the Antarctic and and how it seems from what, what the little clips that we see in the film uh, that there was an absolute necessity for teamwork, an absolute necessity for all of the people involved in that expedition to find also this level of humanity that they needed to have that connection to, with one another. I thought, I don't think that's diametrically opposed to what we see of the people in the high seas research project there's something similar in that they needed to they need to be able to get past all of the day-to-day annoyances with one another and be able to see beyond that is that a fair assessment mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely we you know we kind of lucked out in finding shackleton um one of our characters christiana had been keeping a blog while she was in the dome and so kind of just randomly that she did this really amazing blog post about Shackleton and the comparison to what they were doing inside the dome and and really just interest in Mars and Mars exploration. And so we latched onto that and decided to kind of build upon it in the film. And I think what was interesting about Shackleton was that sure, he, you know, represents the ultimate endurance and the ultimate drive to explore and survive. And it's incredible what he achieved. But, you know, we were really kind of touched, I think, as you're saying, by like these human moments as well, where Shackleton realized his crew needed festivities and they needed togetherness and they needed to kind of have those reminders of humanity and maybe even of civilization. And so it was kind of really interesting for us to start to pull out those parallels in our characters as well. And how, you know, they're on this journey of kind of an epic quest of getting to Mars, yet it's really about their human connection on so many levels too. Well, Catherine, there's there's a sort of outside element that obviously Shackleton wasn't dealing with. And there's this, for me, this idea that just beyond the horizon, is a civilization, is earth, is people, or this sort of idea that you could walk out of there at any point. You could blow up the the experiment, you could blow up the research, you could blow up the project at any moment, knowing that 
there's no real consequences other than the ramifications of you walking away from the experiment and the impact it would have on the research. How much of that weighs, did you think weighs on these people knowing that they have an out? It's not like they're on a spaceship heading for Mars and there's no way you're, you're locked in, you're going there. And once you get there, you have to figure it out. Do you think that that's sort of that hard to get beyond knowledge that I'm not really in danger here. I'm not really risking my life by doing this. Is, is, is this question making, do you understand what I'm trying to get to? Is it, yeah, there's well, an we, out. <laughs> well, what we try to show in the film is that all of them made this commitment in a very serious way to treat this experiment as if it were real and do everything they could to the point that it is the stakes of life and death in their commitment to not break sim, as they say. And we see this when um, Christiana, one of the crew members, has an issue with her oxygen yeah. tank, um, oxygen system in her spacesuit. And she has to get back to the dome because if she takes a breath of fresh air, it ruins the entire experiment. And it's not just, it, part of it is like they know that it wasn't, that maybe they cut a corner but it affects the data and all of them are real scientists yeah. and it really matters to them that this data is uh, useful for the future of space exploration. And, you know, all of them have kind of said at some point that <laughs> it's funny to say that they, in a way there's an, a there's a challenge. It's different than if they were actually on Mars because they would have this, this feeling of actually being on Mars. And of course the danger is increased, but also the glory and the excitement is increased. So the fact that they don't have that element mm -hmm. actually was this kind of added challenge because they're just like, why am I here? Like, should I just leave? Why am I here? Like in a way it's more emotionally challenging because right. they're just stuck in a dome in the middle of nowhere in Hawaii. Well, I would think being on Mars, it's that urgency. There's this, this is the here and now I, I have to make this work. Right. And so that would definitely be something. And I, I just, the reason I brought this up was because knowing that quote unquote freedom is just over the hill adds a, a sort of an additional layer of pressure on them to maintain, to stay focused on, on what they're doing. And, 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 uh, you know, they do it well, they, despite over the period of, you know, a whole year and, many trying times. And that's another thing about um, Red Heaven is it does seem like there was a period of time where they might have lost interest in filming each other. It's felt there was some, there was one point in the film where I felt like we were just sort of seeing the same things. And then, but then as they got closer to the finish line, you could see that there, there was more, there was more there. They were, they were more interested in documenting. Did, am I, did they go through a periods of times where they just weren't, they just weren't doing that. And then more times when they just said, we're going to, we're going to document this. And again, I feel like I'm not being sharp on my, on my question here, but do you know what I'm getting to Catherine? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Lauren, do you want to answer that? Um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, 
I do think that there was kind of times where maybe one of them would take the lead more on who was doing the filming and then times when they would all kind of want their experience to be a little bit more known and they would turn to the camera. Maybe they were frustrated about something or um, had kind of just hit a new level of boredom, honestly. Um, and so they kind of turned to the camera, I think, as in a kind of cathartic way. So that was certainly helpful for our purposes. I think the other thing to note about these missions is that they actually follow kind of these a similar trend a lot of the times. And we, we saw this with our crew, where basically it's divided into four quarters. The first quarter, everyone goes in, they're super excited, ready for everything. You know, the second quarter, it's like monotony starts to set in you know, the kind of the time blur starts to happen. One day is very similar to the next. The third quarter is the worst. It's like the doldrums when there's no end in sight and everything just feels so bleak. And they probably did not have any interest in picking up a camera at that point, honestly, because they just wanted to be out of there. And then in the fourth quarter, it's like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And so everyone gets excited again and kind of activity starts and they can, they can see that there will be an end to this experience. And so they pick up in energy overall. I think you, yeah, certainly feel that in the film as well. Yeah. Does this put them on a track to be considered for a Mars mission? We're talking maybe 2030 is what I saw in some of the material about when the expectation of us sending someone to Mars. Does this put any of these people on that track of being highly considered or? Yeah, well, Andre is, he actually works on the Mars rovers. Uh, I think he's in Houston now working for NASA. Cyprian and Christiana are both possibly on track to be astronauts. Christiana made it, she was a finalist to be a German astronaut uh, a couple years ago. And then Cyprian has, um, he's also like kind of on that track and has had some interest. And he actually right after the simulation went to Antarctica and did another year long isolation simulation. So he's just like, (laughs) he's one of those, yeah, he's one of those people that you're like, oh, you are actually perfect for this. Like you should go to Mars. You're the right person. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's commitment. That is truly commitment. And he's the (laughs) astrobiologist of the group, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, by the way, speaking of sex, no, <laughs> you know, you got it. There's six healthy people in, in a, you know, 1100 square feet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, it apparently did something happen between uh, Christiana and, uh, and Cyprian. That was that a surprise? Was it just something? I mean, it's not like you exploit this idea. It's very understated, for, but it's just, just was kind of curious. I mean, you know, no, definitely not. I think this question comes up a lot just because it's like, you know, all the human drama happens in a space like this. And that's just another aspect of it. And yeah, there is a romance and, you know, it's something that NASA, their approach to it is a little bit like they don't want to talk about it. And as these long duration space missions become more and more what the future of space exploration is going to be it's becoming more of an important question that's like what do we do about relationships because one of our crew members said um well yeah what if someone gets pregnant on mars 
when they're there in 2035 or whatever it is. Like these are things that we really need to think about. Uh, they, you need to think about contraception and you need to think about the emotional ramifications of a romance, which is kind of what we talk about yeah. in the film. That's like, how is this gonna affect the crew? Like, do we trust each other to let this happen? But also can you prevent it from happening? If one crew member is like, I'm not okay with this. Um, you know, you can't stop two people from wanting to be together, even in this space. Right. Uh, but the way that our crew approached it, it was just like the mission has to come first. Yeah. And like, that's what we're here for. Right. So, right. Again, you put, you know, athletic 20, 30 ish people, 30 ish <laughs> in, in a small space for a year. Uh, I mean, you know, you can do the math. And I think it's very puritanical of, NASA to not think that this is, you know, should be an active part of the consideration of what's going to happen. Um, and there have on... been a lot of different approaches to it. Like <laughs> the Mars 500 in Russia was only men, but it was a bunch of Russian men. And apparently there was vodka there and there was like a lot of fighting. <laughs> so that didn't work out that well. But so there, there's been all these considerations that it's like, oh, should we only have like straight people of one gender on these missions so that they can avoid the romantic aspect of it. But uh, in a way yeah, it's unavoidable. I, I think you just, uh, the, the formula of a bunch of men in a small space with vodka. Yeah. That's just not going to end well. <laughs> there, there were some fist fights. <laughs> well, this is just, a, this is a, a surprising film. When I saw the premise of the film, I said, I, I really have to find out more about this. This is a remarkable. This is the future. We are going to eventually somewhere along the line, be exploring space in a much more aggressive way. I am horrified at the idea that we think that this is a disposable planet and we'll just figure out somewhere else to go. That, that idea really repulses me about humanity. But nonetheless, it is a fact. We're going to be going into space. We're going to be exploring it. And, um, it's, it's, and this really makes it all the more humanizes this idea of us going into space. So I, I really appreciate that about the film Red Heaven. And congratulations to both of you on the uh, Doc NYC festival that's i think i think it's safe to say it's kind of the the festival that you want to be in if you're a documentary filmmaker and um congrats on all on all of that thank you yeah. so much thank you so very much uh again we've been uh talking to the co-directors co-producers and Catherine, your editor as well as writer on the film is do i have that correct i have those. i would like to thank both of you lauren de filippo as well as Catherine Gornch for your time today here on Film School Radio. Thank you so very much. And thank you for putting up with my nonsense too. Thank you. <laughs> Great talking with you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music